Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Good. So wonderful to be here with everyone this evening and to be leading you in a short devotion. Um, tonight we'll be exploring Psalm 115, 115, verses 1 to 8. Uh, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts for His Word. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank You and praise You for Your blessed name, Lord. We want to thank You for the opportunity of being here this evening and to study Your Word, Lord, the Word that You have given us, Father. Lord, we know it's been a, a long week. Many of us are tired. But we just pray, Father, that our hearts may be focused on You tonight, Lord. We just pray Your Spirit helps us, Lord, to digest Your Word so that we can uh, live out Your Word, Lord, so that we can um, show others what it is to be a follower of Your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And I just pray that my, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. So, we'll be reading Psalm 115. So you can look in your Bibles, or hopefully it will be on the screen. So let's start. To your name give glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You know, when I first arrived in the UAE, I didn't have a car, so I was reliant on the taxi services to get around. So I soon discovered many of the drivers were from different parts of the world, from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and various African countries. And if you know me well, I really dislike uncomfortable, awkward silences, so I'd often try to strike up a conversation with them. I normally ask them about their background, you know, where were they from, how long have they been in the UAE, all about their families and things like that. However, when I mentioned the word cricket, I would really see their eyes light up, you know, because now I was talking their language, you know, especially with the Indian drivers. You know, they know pretty much everything there is to know about the game of cricket, the players, the teams, the statistics, you name it, they knew it. Cricket in India is more than an obsession. It is like a religion there. They live for it. And if I mentioned the name Sachin Tendorka, then there was a good chance that I would probably miss my stop because I wouldn't be able to say any word during that time. You see, Sachin, to an Indian national, is like Pele to football, or Michael Jordan in basketball, or a Babe Ruth in baseball, he is considered the god of cricket. And yeah, they mean a capital G. So in tonight's psalm, we'll see the psalmist is calling the people to glorify God alone. Not ourselves, 
not idols, but in God alone. A few weeks ago, I explained that the book of Psalms is divided into five books. And the fifth book contains the two major sections, the Alal and the Song of Ascents. So we see Psalm 115 form part of the Egyptian Halal, which was most likely sung after the Passover, which celebrated the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt, which we see in the book of Exodus. Now remember, these Psalms had a significant in that the people were called to praise God. It had been suggested that this Psalm is post-exilic and may have been sung at the, at the dedication of the second temple. The people of God appeared in distress because of what the heathens say in verse 2. We see, why should the nation say, where is their God? So the design of this psalm or this hymn was to encourage trust and confidence in the Lord and to excite the believers to give God the glory because of his faithfulness and his steadfast love and to expose the vanity of the idols. Tonight we will see that we are to give God the glory alone. Sorry, we are to give glory to God alone. Now the two particular points that I would like to make, which will form the basis of my outline, is this. Firstly, we are to glorify God and not ourselves, which we'll see in verses 1 to 3. And secondly, we are to glorify God and not idols. So let's look at my first point, first of all. We see in verses 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. The psalmist is exhorting the reader or the group of people to give all their glory and honor to God. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that God deserves all our praise because he alone is our creator. He alone is eternal. He alone is holy. He alone is our Savior. Our Heavenly Father is the one who is constant, who is gracious, who is kind, slow to anger and abound in love. You really don't need any more reason than this to give all the glory and the honor to God. But notice how the psalmist repeats now, not to us, O Lord, not to us. You see, we are the very opposite. We are the creature. We are created. We are mortal and subject to death. We are not holy. We are sinful and in desperate need of saving. And Paul reminds us in Romans, it is God who we are accountable to. Greg Gilbert in What is the Gospel tells us that we are made by him, we are owned by him, we are dependent on him, and therefore accountable to him. So we are definitely not worth, worthy to receive any form of glory or praise. And when we uh, try to explore the theme of glory, we can look to the book of Exodus. Pastor Gareth reminded us last week of the miracles that God performed for the Israelites when he delivered them from the slavery in Egypt. From the crossing of the Red Sea to them arriving in, on Mount Sinai, God sweetened the bitter waters at Marah. He provided manna and quail from heaven. He provided water at Massa and Meribah and gave the Israelites victory over the Amalekites. When the Israelites reached Mount Sinai, 
God reminded them of all that he had done for them and promised to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation if they would keep his commandments. And the people agreed to this. God revealed himself in a most powerful way. So read with me in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 to 19. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended it, uh, on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So we see the physical manifestations of God's glory. The smoke, the fire, the blast of the horn, the earthquake trembling of the ground. These were going on in the presence of the Israelites. And God made it clear to them that he was the only God who they were to worship. And we are reminded in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah points out in chapter 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another, or praise or my praise to idols. But now look with me in verse 2. Why should the nation say, where is their God? You see, the enemies of God, the Gentiles, the heathens, appeared to be mocking or taunting the people of God and mocking God himself. But why do you think they did this? Well, we know this because, sadly, Israel sinned against God. Their enemies knew God was no longer with them. God repeatedly warned them to obey his commands. He punished the Israelites because he knew what was in their best interests. But we see Israel fail to do this. They sin by worshipping idols. We see this in Exodus 32. But the psalmist replies to these insults by telling us in verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I really like the way Charles Spurgeon puts it, and he says, But our God is in the heavens where he should be, above the reach of mortal sneers, overhearing all the vain jangling of men, but looking down with silent scorn upon the makers of the Babel. Supreme above all opposing powers, the Lord reigneth upon a throne, high and lifted up. So the psalmist is, in effect, recalling when God was in their midst and praying for it to return. But now, how do we apply this for our lives today? Now, there's something I really don't want us to miss here. The psalmist writes and says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So we are to glorify God and not ourselves. But what does this mean to glorify God and what does this look like? You see, brothers and sisters, when we recognize our sin for what it is and ask our sovereign Lord to forgive us, our holy God, when we recognize that the only way to be reconciled to Him is through His Son, Jesus Christ, we glorify God when we are faithful and obedient to His word. 
when we trust and obey him and live out the Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, when we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and the lonely. But there's one activity that scripture associates more than any other with glorifying God, and that's the activity of worship. The Gospel Coalition tells us it is indeed proper to honor God in all our endeavors, but worship is a distinct activity in which we set aside other tasks and set our minds and our hearts fully on the Lord in order to receive His Word and to respond back to Him with prayer and song in private, in families, and especially in corporate worship. But how many of us sitting here can honestly say that we are doing this? That when we worship God in our prayers, our singing, our reading, and our meditating on His Word, that we are fully present. Do you understand the word present? That we are fully attentive, that we are fully active, that we are fully focused on God that our hearts are aligned towards God? Or are we focused on ourselves, our own problems, our own ambitions, our own selfish desires? And are we still attending the online services that are offered on Fridays when the time is due? Do we attend those or do we try to attend it when it's convenient for our time or for us so that God fits into our schedule? See, when we worship God, with a true and penitent heart, He will reveal Himself to you in ways that you can never imagine. Now my second point is that we are to glorify God and not idols. So look with me in verses 4 to 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear noses but do not smell they have hands but do not feel feet but do not walk and they do not make a sound in their throat those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them yeah the psalmist is contrasting their worship with the one uh, and true living god who is in the heavens to the gentiles who were worshiping dead gods of their own making, in the image of a fallen creature. He says, they're idols. Yeah, we see the psalmist showing how irrational and mad this behavior is of making these idols out of dead, inert matter that is powerless like wood or clay. This is really a waste of substance, and there is no more life in silver and gold than there is in brass or iron. These are the work of human hands. And how strange is it that man can think that they can make a God, a God with a small g. The irony is the maker is always greater than the object that has been made, yet they still seem intent on worshipping these useless, powerless, inanimate objects. The psalmist continues to show how ridiculous this is, because look how he points. He says... They have mouths, but do not speak. So the idols cannot even communicate with their worshippers. They can neither make any promises, nor can they threaten. They can neither make any commands, nor can they console anybody. 
They can neither explain the past or prophesy about the future. They are mere dumb idols and cannot even be compared with the living God who spoke through the prophets and uh, the thunder on Mount Sinai. They have eyes but do not see. They cannot even see who their worshippers are or even what they offer them. Certain idols have these jewels in their eyes, but they were as blind as the rest of the people. A God who has no eyes and cannot see is a blind deity. A blindness is a calamity and not an attribute of the Godhead. They have ears but do not hear. Some of these idols have these huge massive ears that were completely disproportionate to their bodies, but they cannot even hear the prayers of the people that is directed towards them. They have noses but cannot smell. So the psalmist mocks at those who burn these sweet spices and fill their temples with clouds of smoke, all offered to an image whose nose cannot perceive the perfume. They have hands but do not feel, and uh, they cannot even receive what is handed to them, or they cannot even distribute benefits or hand down any judgment or wield their power. And they have feet but do not walk. They must be lifted into their places or they would never reach their shrines. They must also be fastened to the shrines, otherwise they would fall off. They cannot even come to the rescue of their worshippers or escape their enemies. Even an insect has more power of locomotion than the greatest heathen god. And they do not make a sound in their throat. They cannot speak through their throats. They can't grunt, groan or mutter a sound. Images of gold and silver are incapable of making sound. And finally, we see the psalmist say, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Essentially, the idol worshipper becomes like the, I, the idol, a foolish puppet, helpless, senseless, and useless. However, I can see you asking the question now, but what does idol worship have anything to do with us today? I mean, I don't bow down and worship to an image, an idol. You know, I know they're useless. Well, I would like to refer to an article that I picked up this week. It was written by Jeffrey Curtis Poor, and it is titled, Idol Worship Today, Six Modern Idols That We Worship. He writes in his article, We tend to think of idolatry as a sin of the past or an Eastern mysticism. We certainly don't have idols in Western culture, right? Well, actually, idolatry is surprisingly modern and very prevalent in our culture. Part of the reason we don't think about idol worship today is because of our definition of idolatry. We think idolatry is confined to bowing down to a golden statue or praying to a wooden trinket. And since we don't do that, we assume we don't have idols. Now, Tim Keller in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, says an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. And it's interesting that St. Augustine in the 4th century said, sin in idolatry isn't so much as loving bad things and doing bad things, it's loving good things too much. So we see in the article, he continues to show us six idols that we worship today. Number one is our identity. It's easy to place our, our identity in something or someone other than God. 
whether it be our social media following, our position at work, our abilities or skills, or the achievements that we are after, many have their identity wrapped up in the wrong thing. Not only is it an idol, it's really a tough way to live, he says. If your identity is in your work, your skills, your looks, or anything else, you will constantly feel that you don't measure up. These are harsh masters. But when our identity is secured in God, we can live in freedom. While we still fall short of God's love, He will never fail us. Secondly, money and consumerism. It doesn't matter if you have money or you are broke. The pursuit of money and the acquisition of things is an idol for many in our culture. Many people trust their money more than they trust in God. But hear me on this, he writes. He says, money is not bad. Money is a tool. And like any tool, you have to use it in the correct way. Or otherwise, it can cause much damage. Money isn't the problem. It's how we use it and how we view it that can make it a problem. Many have placed their hopes and their dreams in money. They trust it to provide for them, to care for them, and to protect them. The problem is, it cannot live up to what we are trying to get from it. Thirdly, entertainment. We are obsessed with being entertained, and it comes in many different forms. From Netflix to vacations and video games to podcasts, we love entertainment in all its forms. Again, as with the other idols lists, it's that not that entertainment is bad. It can be a good thing, but when our lives become all about the search for the entertainment and the chase for the best experiences we can find, then it becomes an idol. It becomes more important than God. And he says, I would argue that entertainment is good and a gift from God, but we should worship the giver and not the gift. Fourth, sex. We are obsessed with sex in our culture. It is everywhere. It might be the only thing we think more about than money. We have taken a gift from God and made it into the God of our lives. And for many, their lives are controlled by sex. To even question the sexual ethic in our society will bring a slew of accusations. Showing how tied to our idol we actually are, our sexual identity, sexual practices, and sex lives are sacred to us. For many today, sex is an idol. We value it more than we value God. The fifth thing, he says, is comfort. There is an endless list of products promising to simplify and add comfort to our lives. We have made our lives much easier and more comfortable than any other time in history. Tasks that used to take all day can be done in minutes. Menial tasks are now automated. While that's a good thing, our pursuit in life should not be about comfort alone. Jesus tells us a very different narrative for his followers. He says that his followers will face trials, persecutions, and difficulties. While comfort isn't bad, it can become damaging when it becomes the main pursuit in life. When comfort is an idol, we struggle when God calls us to something difficult. 
And lastly, our phones. I can see everybody <laughs> stressing. I can see people looking at their phones right now. Yeah. <laughs> so smartphone addiction is increasingly becoming a worrying trend. This is especially true for the Generation Z and the millennial generations, but it's certainly not confined to them. For many, they simply cannot live without their phones or online presence. This is quickly becoming an idol for many. The problem isn't our phones or the social media or any form of technology. It's the value that we place on it that makes it a problem. When our lives revolve around how many likes we get, what our following looks like, or if we can't sit in silence for five minutes without refreshing our newsfeed, we might have an idol. Anything that takes the place of God in our life, anything that becomes more important than God is an idol. So please, brothers and sisters, don't misinterpret me now. I'm not saying as believers we cannot have fun. God wants us to enjoy life. But I mentioned a few weeks ago the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So I just want to conclude with the four questions that um, this author writes in his article, Jeffrey Curtis Poor. He says, Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? And what's always on my mind? Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's make sure that we make God our treasure, that we glorify Him alone, not ourselves and not our idols. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word that clearly states that you are the one and only true living God. We are to give you glory. You alone are to receive glory. And Father, forgive us for the times when we take uh, our eyes off you, Lord, when we don't focus on uh, you as our master, Lord, when we don't focus on uh, your message, Lord, and we don't focus on your mission, Father. We just pray that um, we can live our lives Father, to your glory, that we don't live for ourselves, Lord. And we pray that we give you everything that we have, Lord, for you have done so much for us, Father. You have given your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you and we honor you for that, Lord. And we just ask this all in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.